Welcome to Other Than Sports. Each episode features a unique guest who shares lessons learned through sport, their career path, where they are now, and what they're excited about for the future. You'll hear perspectives and examples that inspire and show that regardless of where you are on your own journey, you're not alone. Are you ready? Let's dive in. All right. Welcome, welcome, everyone. Uh, On today's episode of Other Than Sports, we're joined by Sebastian Little. And before we officially say hello, Seb, I'm going to run through the quick resume as I know it from my end, but I know you will fill a lot of details. So Seb Little, four-year Division I football player at Yale University. That's where we were lucky enough to to meet a wide receiver there. Founded NFL Yale, a mentorship program with uh, middle schoolers at um, local local school in New Haven, bringing in the Yale football team to provide mentorship, which is an amazing program. Um, partnered with the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence, created a curriculum on emotionally intelligent leadership, um, which I imagine had a ton of impact and we're excited to, to learn more about. Uh, interned there, you were, you know, you were there as a student, interned there and then went on and interned at McChrystal Group, um, where uh, you ended up, I believe, uh, having a a good portion of of your career there or a few years there, um, but started out of college as a mental performance coach, then joined McChrystal Group full-time as a consultant, led the charge on leadership ventures there, and now you're the founder of SLP, Sebastian Little Performance, providing performance, coaching, speaking engagements, uh, team trainings uh, around leadership, performance, and culture. Um, and I think, you know, off the script of the resume, just an all-around great guy with um, some of the most authentic energy that I think I have ever been around in my entire life. Uh, very much look up to you for that. So, Seb, welcome to Other Than Sports. Uh, it's, it's so good to be here, Chris. Thanks for the invite. Thanks for having me on. Um, of all the things, I appreciate the last thing most, the authenticity piece. Um, I think no matter what, I've tried to be me in all of it and, um, I'm glad it shines through. So really glad to be here and excited to jump in. It definitely does. You are, you are one of the few people who are extremely magnetic, um, in, in your, your energy and, and definitely love it. So on the point of authenticity and who you are as part of other than sports podcast, you know, our episodes are titled athlete to X, whatever someone ends up becoming. I'm athlete to tech product marketer. Um, you have had quite a few titles throughout your career so far. So when we are labeling the other sports podcast for Seb Little, athlete to what? Who are you? Tell us, tell us a little bit more. Athlete to coach is probably the most accurate descriptor. Uh, I often tag uh, coach, consultant, facilitator, speaker uh, on the back end of it. And that just gives people a little bit of direction about what I do um, or about how I deliver it. It's kind of more like what's the vehicle or the mode. Uh, however, like the work that is really, that I'm really passionate about is how do we take people from where they are right now to ultimately like where they want to go and how do we do so to that point around authenticity, how do we encourage sustainable excellence? And I think there's nobody right now doing it better than LeBron James. Like he's stepping into his 20th year in the NBA. His game has iterated in a lot of ways since he stepped into the league 20 years ago. He's still got his signature signature part of the game that he he keeps with him. He's maintained his health and his body in a way that he allows to to play at a high level. So sustainable excellence requires us to be connected with our own authenticity. We can't devoid both if we're going to be on this path of long-term growth. 
uh, yeah, I love that. I think that's, I, I mean, it's, it's interesting, right? Because even coming from being a, a D1 athlete, right? Like, is this where it's derived from? You know, I know, I, I know a lot of your, um, you know, some of your backgrounds talked about, you've just been a high performance at everything you've done. Is, is that kind of where the, the core of this came from and the, this passion was driven from? You know, it came from this experience. I think it was an aha moment of, yeah, I'm doing high performance, but I'm doing high performance in somebody else's box. And if we think about all of the different boxes that we belong in, you could say there's a gender box, a race box, uh, an academic box. We, we end up subscribing to these boxes that we didn't actually create, right? And, and I think like as athletes, we often get put in this box of like, well, you're, you're the jock or you're the smart one or you're like, we get put into these categories and these, in some cases, self labels that we then all of a sudden are living a life that uh, feels frictionful and like there's tension because we didn't actually choose the box or we didn't create the box that we want to live in so i think in a lot of ways the high performance conversation came from being in a lot of boxes that i didn't choose and then realizing wait a minute i can get up and out of this and go create my own so how the the concept of the box is, is super interesting right i i feel like there there's some boxes you can get out of some you can't you know, you mentioned, you know, race is one, for example, I, how do you, how do you think about those where it's like, Hey, I am maybe always in this box or, you know, how, how do you approach that? For a long time, the first thing that comes to mind when you ask that question for a long time, I was trying to, so I'm biracial just for, hmm. for anybody else that's, that's curious, biracial, half black, half white. Um, I've existed pr a lot in, especially in growing up in a lot of white spaces. So for me, I was always trying to do black excellence. And we've heard that before, like as a tagline, do black excellence. Um, and most people of color will, re will, will, will uh, resonate with that. And what I realized actually was George Floyd, uh, that really was this kind of breaking point for me of realizing and stepping into a new conversation around race was I could go do black excellence or I can go be black excellence. And I had a friend challenge me even further on that. He said, why don't you just go be excellent and allow that to be the thing that you lead with? right? Because you're not really defined. You don't, you can define yourself however you want to define yourself. You could put any tags or any adjectives on yourself that you want to, but at the end of the day, you being excellent is going to be the thing that carries you no matter what color your skin is. Um, now you can push that and pull that and, and, and you, you can, you know, you could work that, that phrase around, but that was really a really cool challenge for me of, Hey, I was doing this thing. I was, I was trying to do it. And then I was like, well, what if I just became it? And it was an, a new assumption of a new identity. Um, in a way that I was work, kind of walking through the world. That was the shift for me around the doing to being. What was the impact? I stopped avoiding conversations and um, using the privilege of deferral um, when it was convenient. The, I, I stopped backing down from conversations that... Uh, ones that I was actually committed to. So what I realized through that whole process was, hey, I'm, I'm not an expert when it, when it comes to this diversity, equity, inclusion conversation. I'm an expert when it comes to my experience as a biracial male in the United States. It's about 7% of the population's mixed race, right? So it's, a, it's fractional, right? So not a lot of literature, um, not a lot of media is geared towards my experience as a mixed race black athlete from a single parent household in Connecticut, like we can go down the line around everyone's uniqueness. And for me, the, the choice at the very peak of that was I will no longer avoid these conversations. I will no longer be a bystander to them. I'm going to engage in them. 
I'm going to use the skill set that I'm trained in and that I'm actually really good at, innately really good at, which is conversation. I'm really good at navigating conflict. Uh, I'm really good at seeing uh, paradox and polarity, black, white, masculine, feminine, student, athlete, paradox and polarity. And how do we make this be a both and conversation that we can all benefit from? I stopped avoiding that because I could. And I started choosing into it because I was committed to it. That was the biggest shift. There was this almost a shift of I'm going to go choose discomfort now. <laughs> yeah. Maybe switching, uh, switching gears a little bit and double clicking into that trained skill set, you know, would love to just like hear about one, like what you're up to right now. What does that look like? You know, it's been a pretty interesting path just from, you know, reading about you and, and following a little bit you know, what does that look like? And um, kind of like what those big rocks are? Yeah, I'm in a, a really cool growth and learning phase right now. So I'm about 2.5 years into running my own practice, learned a ton. Year one for me was say yes to everything. Because you say yes to everything, you're gonna get this really wide kind of spray of experiences. Worked with some really cool clients, did some really cool projects, learned what I didn't like, that was a really important thing. There was a lot of things, projects there. I was like, ah, this is not something I'm probably going to pick up again. Year two was a, Kaylee was much more of a spiritual year and spiritual here and not in terms of religion or, or um, intersectionality in that way, but in the sense of, I learned to trust my business and the vehicle that I was already creating. There was a momentum of the train was on the tracks where the after about one year, I started people started calling me up because they knew that I was a coach, not because they knew what I did, because the word coach and Seb started to be a connotation. And year two for me was the experience of now that that I've created some momentum, can I trust it? That was a huge shift for me. Where a lot of times I would always have to be in motion, activity, the doing piece that I just spoke about. I always had to be doing more right? Which is a very athletic mindset. I'm going to run through more and more walls. I'm going to go lift more, do more film, X, X, Y, and Z. The more inputs, the more outputs. But there's a shift that happens when, when you're running a business, when you start trusting your own self, that you can go produce results without having to do more input, right? It's a trusting of who, who, who I was becoming and who I was being. And I'm still in that transition phase right now of going from like the doing to the being, the trust and kind of the spirit of where we're going. But the shift was, um, was something that I, like, I, I can't ignore anymore. So like, I'm, I'm, I think I'm in the kind of a bit of a tension right now, even in this moment. So what I'm super excited about is, can I go trust the, my process of creation? I've been doing a ton more writing, I've been doing a lot more content creation. And what I'm realizing is it's, it's not really for everybody else. It's not really for the audience. It's actually so much about it is documenting my process in a way to support other people in theirs. I don't think it's too dissimilar from this podcast be candid um, and that's what, what's really exciting is like i'm excited about stepping out on a bigger stage that i feel really ready for that's what i'm i'm probably most pumped about yeah no i i love that journey and also when you talk about like you know writing content uh almost like this discovery and trust probably like this internal snowball effect right of like trusting yourself and having it feed off of off of it I, st I, I came across your personal iOS and just like love that. Uh, I was curious if you could just, well, for one, maybe spend a couple of minutes just like talking about the process of creating that or where it came from, right? What's, what's the origin? And also, 
you know, for me, right, looking through that, I'm like, oh my gosh, like Seb's got everything figured out, right? This is like kind of intimidating, right? Going through yeah. each bucket. Yeah. If you were to, you know, almost like coach someone on where to start, what are those like, maybe like key three, four, five places that they can really lean in and then have the rest kind of like take off with it? Yeah. David, you got me cheesing over here because the iOS means... <laughs> The iOS means so much to me, man. You know, I, I want to appreciate you, you looking into it and, um, and yes, it's absolutely, you know, that's for me been about a year and a half of the making. Um, so I'm, I'm literally editing every week, not because it's like, it's a, it's a habit. It's because like, I learned something new about me and I go add it to my iOS. That's been the document that I've been capturing. People talk about a living or breathing document. Like most coaches will say like, this is the culture and here are the values. It's a living, breathing document. And then you review it once a year and it's like, all right, like it's alive once a year. <laughs> it's a zombie. We're talking about a Dracula, Dracula movie. And the iOS for me has been this experience of here's the most accurate representation of who I currently am in this moment. And if we think about the phones that we all have, right, we've all got our, our iPhones and, and Androids. We've got hardware and we've got software on that iPhone, right? The hardware is the gigabytes, the RAM, um, all the kind of cool features and, and circuitry of how we're wired, right? And I think about that being similar to our some of our life experiences. There's certain things that we've we've that's happened that are just like cemented with us, like it's part of who we are. And then there's a software that updates every so often, right? And we get our new iOS update, and there was just one not too long ago, and we get new features. And if we're not paying attention to our features, it's hard to use them. So the iOS for me has been a document to capture what are the new features of who I am, who I'm becoming, what I'm learning um, that are not necessarily rooted in what I want or where I'm going, but just to, as a snapshot of who I am. So to your point or question around where do I start? I say start by with the most, with the easiest point of entry for you. If that is understanding your values, if it's understanding what pisses you off, it's a great data point of understanding where, where to start. If it's your passion, if it's your skill sets, uh, the questions that I often, some of my favorite questions are uh, when it comes to strengths, which is what is something that you notice yourself losing an infinite amount of time with? Like, where do you get in your flow state? Like, where do you notice yourself being like, oh, that was three hours? What do you notice yourself where people are complimenting or asking you how to do something that you think is really easy? And the last one is, what do you notice that annoys you about other people that comes really easy to you? Because typically, we lack the empathy, the cognitive empathy, when we're seeing other people do a certain task. You know, like for, for some of us, it's like throwing and catching. And all of a sudden, if someone can't throw and catch a ball or a football or whatever, like, why don't you get that? Like, why can't you play this thing? But because it comes easy to us doesn't mean it becomes easy to others. And there's something there that we could tap into that's important for us to know about ourselves. Appreciate that question, David. <laughs> David's proud of himself. He's very proud. <laughs> I was just so honored. That was just such like that's my it's my it's probably the most important work. It candidly put I'll put it this way and and it, it's been the most important thing that I've ever created for myself. Yeah, was my iOS. Yeah. and and you're seeing it. You know, it's a it's never going to be a representation of who I am now because it's always me trying to capture what what I'm learning, and that's okay. And that's part of the whole process. It's still just something that's been really foundational. So thank you for yeah. pointing it out. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I personally love it, right? We all write like goals that we want to achieve every year, right? What are your resolutions? And this is like 
taking it to every other next level, right? Yeah. So definitely something that, you know, me personally, as we get into this like end of year time period, and we start to like reflect, it's like, gosh, that's something that like, I really latch on to and, you know, might want to develop for myself. So no, I just, say, I love the concept. I'll say one more thing here. You know, I think everyone wants a roadmap. Everyone wants a roadmap to how do I grow my TikTok following to this? Everyone wants a roadmap for how do I be CEO here? And a map makes almost no sense without a compass, unless you're an orienteer and you know how to read geography, a map makes no sense without a compass, but a compass always makes sense without a map. And my iOS is my personal compass because when I don't know what I'm should, I should do, I can go back to my principles, to my values, to who I am, and I can make a decision off of that that I know that is in alignment with who I am. And whether or not it works out, I can sleep at night knowing that I've done so in integrity. That's why it's been so important for me. I'd rather have a compass than a map. I mean, I might just end up going off here, not even a question, just more of just impressed because this is my first time meeting Seb and I'm like, <laughs> oh man, I was like, I might need to take like a personal class with Seb after this. And uh, uh, No, I mean, because you just seemed to me, Seb, like that early on, you know, after, at the end of your kind of the first question, um, you touched a, a little bit upon like the discomfort piece but I just see you and you seem so comfortable. And so you, you know, that this is what you were meant to do, be a, being a coach, um, you know, uh, helping folks and, and supporting them and, and truly being coached in, in really the most holistic way possible, not just um, teaching skills, but, you know, like you said, I, I like that analogy of the hardware and the software because it's also similar to just the athlete, the hardware being our bodies, but the software being our, our, our minds and our, and our, and our spirits or souls. But anyway, the, I guess the question just being, you seem so comfortable in this. And I know you laid out, you know, some of those points uh, to David and, and in particular the Iowa, like how to, what to lean back on and how to start things. But did you always feel this comfortable? And did you know that this is where you wanted to go? Because, you know, that's part of this process is helping folks figure out what they want to do afterwards like to me you know it seems so uh you know terrifying to take that leap and just be like I'm gonna go be a coach for people when you have no really no background in that you know nobody like you had to create coach Seb and you've obviously done an, an unbelievable job of doing it and it makes sense why people are attracted to you and, and to your message but again, going back, like, did you always think that this is your path? Did you explore other options? What made you feel comfortable diving into this pretty unknown murky waters? Joe, it's a great question. The, so first and foremost, I think our access to exposure is access to possibility. So part of what we, what we're, you know, we're meaning making machines. We, when we see novelty, our brains get excited. We just release a bunch of dopamine. So what happens when, when I think we're in our search process is we have to be willing to pay attention to what's new. And what's new was that my, in my first year, what's new was like, I realized I didn't like certain stuff. I realized I didn't like having to do X, Y, and Z on this type of occasion. So our access to exposure, and this is what I think oftentimes what you can even speak, speak to like an equity. And I'm not speaking like equity of like, oh, we're not going to solve that in this moment. But more from equity of 
does this person have access to seeing things that other kids might not? Because the Steph Curry's of the world who watched their dad play basketball every time, Larry Fitzgerald who caught balls for Jerry Rice, like they had certain access and exposure to what does it mean to be a professional athlete that they, they automatically groom themselves to start to become that. And what we see is what we start to become. So it's why like the iOS is coming back to what's important for me has been important because I can start to actually groom myself for coming back to the person and the standards that I want my own box versus the box other people set. So I think first and foremost, exposure is important. And early on in your career, uh, what I've noticed right now with some of the younger folks that I, I work with and that are just I'm in conversation with, uh, they're looking for the right, perfect career early. And it's interesting because they don't fully know themselves yet. Now, that's not something you want to tell somebody always, all the time. We're always in the process of going and finding that out, which means that we're always in development of figuring out what we like. And part of what we got to do is be willing to be an experiment, ex experimenter or scientist or Sherlock Holmes. We've got to be willing to do the, the curiosity work, the intellectual curiosity, not related to, ideally, outside of our financial gain. Because the, the majority of the money that we'll make is going to be between 35 and 55. And people tend to prioritize this lavish lifestyle between, you know, somebody will choose a job for 75K versus 65K. Like it's going to make a big difference in their life. Now, for some people, if they're taking care of stuff at home and if they got certain situations, like every individual is, right? But for me, the advice that I often give people that are early on in their career is go for growth over finances every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Because my skill set that I'm building right now will be worth 10X to 100X in 10 years, what it is right now, because I was willing to go through, Chris, to your point, I had a lot of different titles. I learned a lot, right? And it's what I, what I noticed is that it takes me roughly six months to get into a role and start, and start adding value. It takes me nine months for me to start innovating and being creative on that role. So about seven months, eight months in, I get kind of bored. I'm like, oh, what can we do to make this better? So the first three months, I'm like, drinking from the fire hose six months in i'm like yo i got this down nine months in i'm like i'm gonna just figure out how to, to optimize this thing and then within a year then i'm looking at okay well what can i add but without the process of going to curiosity i would never actually get there so we've got to be willing to people will call it failure i call it learning you've got to be willing to go learn before you can go figure out the things that really work for you so so i love i want to like double click on the different stages because actually in the conversation when David and Joe interviewed me, I was like, you know, it's interesting. I've had a few different titles and career trip like switches. And the first three months I have like a ton of imposter syndrome. So I, I work like crazy because I have an imposter syndrome. And then the, the quote I think I had was like, after three months, no one cares where you worked before. It's just about what you're producing and role and the potential that you have. Like, do you have that as well? Like, I know like your first six months is getting ramped up to speed. Do you, do you feel the imposter syndrome when you you know, push outside your comfort zone uh, at, in these different roles? Absolutely. I, I love this conversation. I'm, I'm going to blow this up a little bit just because why not? Here, here's what we're here for. Yep. Absolutely experienced imposter syndrome for the first roughly year of my time at, at McChrystal Group. I was surrounded by all these brilliant people, these really accomplished folks, and I'm struggling to put together PowerPoints. Right. Um, people skills. Yeah, I can go work work a room. Yeah, I can go figure out how to, what, what the client problem is, but the base baseline skills, I didn't feel like I had. So there was this huge learning curve of, I can't even do the bare minimum. I can't even carry the water right now and do that. Right. It was humbling. I needed it. 
you know, when people talk about imposter syndrome, they typically, it's a conversation around confidence. And I'm going to do a bit of a, a visual drawing right now. But if we think about a seesaw, right? And we said two sides of a seesaw, two, two sides of the same coin. We can think about confidence. Well, what happens if we get too much confidence? You get arrogant. And no one, no one wants to be arrogant, right? Our society actually puts people down that use social capital and arrogance. On the other side of confidence, on the other side of the seesaw is humility, right? Confidence, humility kind of go on the same, same plane, which means that, you know, I want to be humble and I want to be confident. We want to usually be both of those things. But what happens when we get too humble? You get self-doubt, you get self-effacing when people make jokes about themselves, right? So somebody always asks me, like, well, what do you do when you're not trying to play this balance game? Because I don't really believe in work-life balance. I don't believe in balance in general. Most times the molecules in the room, they're always moving from high concentration to low concentration, right? Every time we reach equilibrium, it usually is going to shift. So stop aiming for balance, right? The 40-hour work week doesn't exist because likely one week you'll do 55 and the next week you'll do 35. Cool. Instead, I think we need to start aiming for self-awareness. And this is what I would have told myself then when I was going through all my imposter syndrome was get really clear about who you are, not too dissimilar from an iOS. What's the timeline of your story that makes you perfectly suited for this moment? Now, as an athlete, we've got a lot of data points to draw from. So when you think about you're stepping into a new role and you're stepping into rapid learning environments, it's a freshman year, learning a new offense, it's learning a new position. It's nothing different than what we've already done. It's just in a new context. So if we're not clear about the story of our lives, the past, present, and ideally the future trajectory, it's going to be really hard for us to be settled in that moment. Because if we're always trying to prove, which is often what happens with, when we're experiencing the imposter syndrome, when we're always trying to prove we're performing for somebody else, so hopefully they like me, hopefully they see that I add value, all these other things. And what we're not doing is we're not present within ourselves that actually where we're going to drive the highest level of performance. We'll do better if we're clear, centered in who we are. This is the, you could call this mindfulness. I call this just presence. If you're present who you are, you don't need to go prove. And I'm not trying to, you know, add more value than I need to. I can just be with the moment. I can learn what I need to learn. And then I can go implement rapidly, take feedback and then implement. So I, I love when people say, oh, well, I'm working on confidence. I'm like, oh, that's BS. Like, wait, what? <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> I got imposter syndrome. Yeah, 75% of the population has imposter syndrome. Congratulations. You're one of everyone, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it's just one of these things where uh, I think it ends up being a bit of a buzz thing. And I think the, the real work behind it is, uh, you know, I do an exercise with my clients called Career Scorecard. And we go through their career. In some cases, if they're early on in the career as an athlete, how are these skills directly applicable to what you're doing right now? I hope I just started. I, I, hope, I, yeah. I just, hope I just sparked something there. No, yeah. <laughs> so I much. mean, I think that, like that's like, uh, you know, uh, and I go back and forth with it too. It's like the grind culture, uh, you know, I'm, you know, and we talked about this. It's kind of, you know, and it's and we it, early on in an episode, and maybe it was our introductory episode, but generations, we're, uh, we'll, we'll, our generation will, will affect and change the next. I was talking about coworkers the other day. Um, I'm expecting my first child with my wife, uh, in April, I know big <laughs> stuff. So we're talking about, uh, paternity leave and we we're just saying, I was like, oh, it's six weeks. And my dad didn't take a day off. We were all luckily born on the weekend and he was back into work on Monday. Yeah. And like, you know, in future generations, that's only going to improve and like that stuff. And similar with like 
grind culture like oh when you're a freshman you carry the buckets because that's what those seniors did and eventually kind of but it, it, like you said it, it, it's it's a seesaw like because there's good and bad about grind culture but there's also bad of like now you have quiet quitting culture of i'm not oh, I'm not, I'm going to do the bare minimum because I want this work-life balance. Like you said, because I believe it too, doesn't really exist. Like your priorities are going to shift every day. There is a, I was at a talk this week with a, with a, with a man, uh, his name is father, Greg Boyle. He, he founded a, a place called homeboy industries, but he was saying similar to like uh, an addict or something like that, or, or somebody that's from a, a, a gang who's living now cha- trying to change their life. You can't think about, it's not even a day-to-day, it's a moment-to-moment process. And I think that's like how we need to think about our lives and, and especially the, this. So it's just, yeah, I don't know. And again, I don't think there's any question, but just commenting, because I think that's really profound. Like you, you, got, you have to have confidence, but there's humility and there's bad both. And I think there's just so many points in our careers and, and work. And I think athletes, and in at least my industry, we probably have leaned really hard on that grind culture for a while. And then COVID has allowed for more flexibility and for things to kind of balance out a little bit, which I think has been super helpful. And, but I also see the downsides, like talking, being a, a, a mentor to some of the younger folks. They're not in the office gaining relationships with, with senior management and having those conversations. So, yeah, like you said, I, I think that's just a really good point. Um, again, it's, it's always not going to balance out perfectly yet. You might be working on something that's like you said, it might take longer than one week versus the next, but being, I think, aware of that and cognizant of that is, is what's important and ensuring that you're not leaning too far either way. Um, yeah, I think is a super good point. And I, yeah, that's something I would try to just t- tell the younger folks and especially the athletes, like, don't, don't like, you know, be a part, don't go to that that low concentration part of the room where there's the quiet quitting culture, but you also probably don't want to do, you know, the grind because you're going to, you're going to burn out. Um, no, nah, I, I just thought it was a really good point. I, I would love to kind of circle back and double click on one of the points you said, because I think it really resonated with me on optimizing for growth in your career. And I think like, especially early on, that's so important for people to hear how, however, some of those conversations with an employer are pretty tough, right? Because you go into mid-year, year-end, you're starting your career and they're saying basically a form of what do you want to be when you grow up, right? <laughs> like it's, it's incredibly hard to just jump from function to function to function, take so many laterals. They're going to say, no, well, like we want to coach you and guide you to become a leader here. Because like what advice um, would you have for those folks maybe trying to have those conversations or how to overcome some of the negativity around those conversations to really help them understand like, Hey, long-term, this is going to be a really big benefit. Yeah. I think, I think two things. One is um, a bit more mindset. The next is more tactical. The, the first is no one is responsible for your career, but you. And it's a really important thing where, there are some really great managers and leaders out there, management, leadership, different things, but there's some really great managers who know how to lead. And those managers will be the ones that are, are looking out for your career. They're the ones that will probably be your career mentors. And 
you're not going to get them everywhere, right? Some, some of the managers that I've had taught me how not to lead. That was really important for me to learn too, right? Some of the best coaches that I've had were not good coaches. <laughs> some of them were really great men, really bad coaches. Some of them were really good coaches and not great men. And I, that was really important for me to learn. So I had to be responsible for my career and which is difficult to do when you're early on. Cause it's like, well, how do I assert myself? And this is the tactical piece of it. This is where athletes, team athletes are really great speaking from we all heard me, uh, we over me before, right? The idea that we want to put the team first. And if you want to start to go create candidly social capital so much so that you can start to figure out where you want to, to move in your career, you have to be willing to willing Joe to your, you have to be willing to do the work. You might not always be like, you don't need to 70 hour works back to back to back or weeks every, unless you're in the fields, we won't go down that road, but like, unless that's a, a cultural expectation, like if you're willing to, I want people on my team that are willing to run through walls for me, not that they need to, right? As a manager, if I'm seeing that, and I'm, I've got a team right now, four people, if I see them consistently burning out and, and sending me texts at 10 at night, we've got to have a conversation. But if it's over a week, I'm okay with that, right? I know that they're willing to go put the work in. The conversation might sound a little bit like this, David. I might say, hey, David, if you're a manager, I might say, hey, um, you know, I'm, I'm really appreciate the, the kind of the projects that I've got right now. I want to acknowledge the current state of where we're at. I, want, I really appreciate the projects that I've got. I've got A, B, and C on my plate, and I think they're going pretty strong. First and foremost, do you have any feedback for me? I always am looking to improve and get better. This is what athletes do really well. If we're asking for feedback on the same cadence that corporate gives it, you're wrong. We need to weekly, daily what we're used to as an athlete, we need a weekly and at the very least a monthly conversation around the performance if we want to improve. It's the only way to get data to figure out how we get better, right? So we have to be in that conversation. Hey, do you have any feedback for me about how I can do A, B, and C better, right? Have, have a conversation we'll have a couple of notes. Everything that they put in, I'm going to say thank you to because if they're giving me input from me, even if I don't agree with it, I appreciate it. Thank you. Next, I'll say, cool. So I noticed right now that I've got a couple more, you know, energetic work hours left in the day. And, and I was looking at this project over here with, with team X, Y, and Z. I was wondering if there's any way I can kind of do some shadow work and get involved. Cause I think a way for me to pull what they're doing over there into the line of what our team is doing on this client. Would you open or willing for me to figure out a way to, to work that out? Now, I'm not asking you to go facilitate that. I'll go, I'll go have that conversation, but I want to make sure I checked in here first before we did. And now what we're doing, we're going and creating a new reality. It's a bit of yes and if you're familiar with any improv. So we're acknowledging the current, yes, here's my current state. Here's the feedback that you just gave me. Thank you. Now we're ending it. Here's what's next. Here's the next future that I see that we can build. And this is all going to support we, us. This is going to make us better. And, and if you ever have a manager or leader that says no to that, they're probably defending their own ego. And then we can figure out another workaround around that. That's another conversation. Now we're working around people versus working with them, but we want to work with always first. That's how I would go about that conversation mindset wise and then tactic. I got a, probably a selfish question, but maybe David and Chris would like it too, but kind of now just like flipping the sides of the table, I'm at a point in my career where, and I think, you know, we want to, it's, this isn't this podcast or any of this advice isn't really just for college athletes. It's for, athletes that are just at any point in their career but 
I'm at the point now where I am now in the mentor seat. I am, I'm not directly managing in terms of like, I can control their compensation or, or promotion schedule, but they do look to me how, and I have trouble with that because it's, you know, um, I want to give them work so that they have, you know, they have things to accomplish and they grow, but I also know I can do it quicker, faster, better. Um, just because I'm more experienced, not to say that they don't have the skill set to do it. Uh, and then on the other side too, I want to have a good relationship because in the past, I, I, I'm not sure, you know, miscommunications, you know, in this digital age, everything's done over email. So I think uh, context and connotation gets lost in that. So I've had weak, I'll put it in, in the nicest terms to make myself look better relationships with, with folks younger than me. And I don't want that. So now as I, because of those, I've, I've probably been more hesitant to, to lean forward in terms of work because I want to have good relationships with them. So I've probably been on the side of let's be friendly first and not, you know, do, you know, give them these projects. So just again, yeah, flipping the, the side of the table, like what would you recommend to a manager who's starting out? Like, how do you develop those relationships? Because, you know, like you said, we want to work with them, not around. And you, you just, you know, hopefully those, those relationships last for 10, 15, 20 years within the same company. And you're, you're working together for that entire time. So you want them to, to be fruitful. So just curious your advice there. Joe, can I kind of reflect something from a, like a coach here? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's an assumption in there that we want people to stay for 10 to 15 years, which is not realistic with the market, which is usually two to three four max and there's also an assumption that you can't wear a hat and when i say hat um typically we're, we're wearing one of three hats in any one of our conversations and this goes to everybody here it's not to you just you though joe um we wear a coach hat which is typically can we ask powerful questions we wear a friend or a partner hat which means like can i just listen to you without throwing my two cents in Hey, that just sucks. Brene Brown does some really incredible work around that. Hey, I hear that sucks. I hear you're struggling with this client. Like, what do you need? You just need space to vent. Are we having a problem conversation or a solution conversation? Right. Either one is okay. And then the last hat we typically wear is being a consultant or authority. And this is the one that I think the higher level leadership we get to, because we've seen the patterns and the problems that our people are working through, we go to, I'm going to solve this or fix this for you first. Every time we do that, we put too much input in we disempower the individual to handle the problem themselves and learn and grow through it, right? So when I'm working with, with my folks, I'm typically, and this is also you know, based on practice and training, I'm usually wearing my coach hat because I believe that they've got the answers and it's just my job to ask the questions to support them. Now, there's a difference between asking a coaching consulting question and a coaching coaching question. The coaching coaching question is true curiosity, meaning I do not know the answer to their, their question. I have no idea. I'm asking this question. I hope I hope they got something better than me. A coaching consulting question means I'm going to ask questions that are like breadcrumbs mm. for them to get to the answer that they need. Hey, well, it's usually yes or no. And I'm basing it on kind of a decision tree that I've built that it's worked for me right? or I've seen work generally. So we might look at the types of questions we're asking, a coaching coaching question or a coaching consulting question. Um, but, but Joe, to your, to your question, the way that I frame this uh, has been, I'm always looking at three things. If we think of Venn diagram, there's three circles in this Venn diagram. The first one is, what are you really good at? Meaning that it is my job as Sherlock Holmes to identify with curiosity the things that you are uniquely put on this earth to do. 
the patterns of your thought, feeling, and behavior that can be productively applied. Number one, strengths. Number two, I'm looking at what are you passionate about? Because a lot of times what we are good at is not necessarily what we're passionate about. Sometimes I really want to go and learn marketing, but I'm really good with numbers, right? So it might makes, makes more sense for me to be in finance or accounting. And the last thing I'm always looking at is what is going to be in service of the business, the project, or the team that I'm on, right? So with somebody that has a, is great with creative marketing, that's really good with numbers, and that's interested in uh, client-facing work, what is the unique role for them? Or what is the types of things and tasks that we can give them that I don't need to motivate them with? I hate motivating people, which is interesting because I do some motivational speaking. I hate motivating people because what motivation means is you are deferring to me, you are victimizing yourself as making me the catalyst for your movement. I hate that. So with my team, what I'm always looking at is what are you good at? What do you like to do? And what's going to be in service of the business? And we will figure out the role that makes sense for you. We'll figure out the tasks within the role that makes sense for you. Sure. Um, and that's been the most valuable approach that I've taken for, for those types of conversations. That's awesome. All right. Well, uh, Seb, as always, it's uh, enlightening to talk to you. We, I, I mean, I enjoy every conversation we ever have, but seriously, thank you for taking the time with us and shedding some light on your journey and, you know, hope that in the future we can have you back to talk about more things, but really appreciate the time today. So grateful to be here. Thanks for all the questions. Thanks for taking the time and creating the space to have these conversations. I wish that I was listening to this when I was in my transition phase. Um, and uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thanks. But that will wrap uh, this week's episode of Other Than Sports. Thanks, everyone.